Hey everybody, this is Jimmy. Welcome to another episode of the Jimmy Tingle Show. Today we have a very appropriate guest for Labor Day weekend, Marty Walsh. He spent his life fighting for working people as a labor leaguer, as a public official, and as a private citizen. The son of Irish immigrants, Marty was born in the beautiful Boston's Dorchester neighborhood. He started out by following in his father's footsteps as a union construction worker, rising to become president of Labor's Local 223 in Boston and eventually the head of the Greater Boston Building Trades Council, representing roughly 35,000 blue-collar workers on major construction projects across the state. In 1997, at the age of 29, Marty won election to the Massachusetts House of Representatives, where he spent 16 years fighting for workers' rights and good jobs. A champion for civil rights, he took a very courageous early stand for marriage equality. By the way, when it wasn't very popular, ladies and gentlemen, even here in Massachusetts, he's always supported communities of color, immigrants, seniors, veterans, and he served as the State House leader on substance abuse treatment and recovery support. In 2013, Marty Walsh was elected mayor of the city of Boston, an office he served in for seven years. He helped lead Boston through a period of historic success, growing the city's economy, reducing crime, investing in schools and libraries, and ending chronic homelessness for veterans in the city of Boston. His groundbreaking policies, including the nation's first municipal office of recovery services, paid parental leave for city employees, climate action and flood protection strategies, universal pre-K education, and free community college for low-income students. Get this, drum roll please, because we're celebrating Labor Day weekend. In 2021, President Joe Biden nominated Marty Walsh to serve as the United States' 29th Secretary of Labor. After taking office during the COVID-19 pandemic, Marty worked to support both laid-off and frontline workers. He subsequently leveraged the president's historic economic recovery to strengthen workers' power and improve job quality. During his two years in office, Marty brought in high-quality job training programs to millions of Americans, strengthened mental health support, we all need that, I speak for myself, and access to treatment and ushered in historic surge in worker organizing. In February 2023, Marty was appointed as the executive director of the National Hockey League Players Association. Returning to his roots as a labor leader, where he can continue to champion the importance of workers' rights and the shared benefits of collective bargaining for all. Marty is someone who never forgets where he came from, and that's why he's doing this show, folks. We go back about 25, 30 years, and when I called him to do the show, he made time out of his busy schedule for us. He never forgets his roots. A survivor of Burkitt's lymphoma as a child, he has fought to expand access to health care for all. Embracing recovery from alcoholism as a young man, he has always believed in compassion and second chances. Grateful for the role that unions played in helping his immigrant family join the middle class, he co-founded pre-apprenticeship programs that have become national models and helping people of color, women, and justice-involved individuals enjoy successful construction careers as union members. He is a graduate of the one and only Boston College, and he shares his life with his longtime partner, Laurie Higgins. Please welcome to the show, this Labor Day weekend, the one, the only, the amazing Marty Walsh. Hey, Marty, how are you? <laughs> hey, Jimmy, thank you for that introduction. That was wonderful. Are you going to go another 20 minutes? <laughs> You know? uh, well, I want people around the country to know who you are. I mean, most people do here in Boston, but your background is is so 
awesome and authentic. And it's just great to see you have done as well as you have. But I want to ask, how was it when President Biden, okay, the kid from Dorchester gets a call from President Biden to become the Secretary of Labor? What was that like? Yeah, it was it was surreal. Uh, I was in my office in City Hall, uh, and and um, I actually missed the first call. Uh, and I got a text, <laughs> I got a text from one of his people in, uh, in the office and said, uh, "Answer your phone. The president's calling you." So uh, I texted back, "Okay." The president called. We talked for a few minutes. Uh, he asked me, you know, we talked. I've known President Biden since 1997 when I was a young state rep. I met him uh, at, at Number Nine Park Street. There was an event there. Kevin Fitzgerald and Johnny Rogers and those guys were putting on an event for him. And uh, so from that point till till then, we became friends. And he asked me to be his labor secretary. And I was honored. I mean, I, I was it was bittersweet because um, I knew I would be leaving being mayor of Boston. And it was a job I loved uh, very much. Uh, but when the president of the United States calls you and asks you to serve in his cabinet, uh, it's hard to say no. And I said yes. And uh, so it was a very it was kind of a unique experience, you know, thinking about you know, when you think about my family, my upbringing, where I come from, mm-hmm. uh, it was such an honor to, to be asked by the president. And, and a few months later, I was sworn in by the vice president into my role. And I served almost two years in that role. It was just an amazing experience uh, working in Washington and seeing, you know, the, the national scene. I've done right. government at every level. Uh, I've done it in the state level in the legislature here in Massachusetts. I've done it in the city level as mayor of Boston. And now I've done it as a federal level as a cabinet secretary, it really was an amazing opportunity and a privilege. Yeah, I imagine. So how was it working in the White House? And what were some of the major things that you worked on? And what what are you proudest of in your two-year tenure there as Secretary of Labor? Well, when you think of President Biden's presidency, you know, uh, he doesn't get the credit, but he came in at at a very interesting time. Um, You know, came in um, after the pandemic had began, um, you know, 12 and a half million people out of work. Uh, people were still wearing masks. The, the COVID vaccine had just really come out. Um, and, and we were still in a very uh, scary point in, in, in America and the world, quite honestly, with the pandemic. And the president had to do a lot. He had to roll out a plan to, to get people vaccinated. Uh, you know, people before it became uh, not popular to get vaccinated, wherever that came from, uh, people wanted to get vaccinated when the when the pan, when, when COVID began here, uh, so he rolled out a plan. We institute we worked with him on that, uh, and then he put a plan to get Americans back to work. And in 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 a year less than a year period, twelve and a half million Americans, actually thirteen million Americans, um, went to work, went back to work, and, and new people went into the job market. Uh, unemployment in the country is, is low today. It's been low uh, for most of the president's administration. Uh, and he talked about building an economy from the bottom up and the middle out a little different than what you saw in the past, the trickle down economy you hear, we all hear about. Nothing ever trickled down to the middle class and the poor. That, that never happened in our country. The rich got richer. Uh, and and I'm, not, I'm not criticizing for that, but, but no one else benefited from a good economy. And what the president want, wants to do, wanted to do and still wants to do is build an economy that you can get if you're if you're. Uh, living a poorer person, you know, or you're, you're just on on the verge of the middle class, uh, you have an opportunity to get into that. So President Biden put that on me uh, in working with Gina Raimondo, the former governor of Rhode Island, Secretary of Commerce, uh, Secretary Gardona, the education secretary, to talk about how do we create pathways into good paying jobs. So as the president passed all this landmark legislation, we really doubled down on efforts of workforce development, job training, apprenticeship, and really helping get people get the skills they need to move up. And we look use all the tools. 
So for example, you think about Boston, you know, you think about apprenticeship, the building trades have a strong apprenticeship program. We look in other areas. We look in the tech area and the, in the biotech area of creating opportunities. When you think about Midwest and the South and the North and the Northeast and the Northwest, I mean, all these regions are a little different, but at the end of the day, there are still people there that need help. And we, we come up, we, we work, we worked on a plan. It's still going now throughout the entire country to make investments, to make sure that when somebody goes into a job training program, when they're done with that job trading program, they're actually tied to a job. In the past, that always has been the past with the, the way we've done job training programs with no job at the end of it. You really have to have that job at the end of it because there's no point of training people for something and hoping that they get a job. That, so that that's what we try to do differently here in, in the Biden-Harris administration. So, Marty, I know you're Secretary of Labor, and usually, I mean, I know the unions are a big part of that, but when you're talking about these investments and you're talking about working all over the country, there's a lot of right-to-work states and that don't have uh, you know, unions. I imagine you're trying to help everybody, whether or not they're in a union or not in a union. You're trying to put people back to work and invest in the communities that need the investment. Is that correct? Yeah, you're right. It, it, ironically, in these right-to-work states that they so-called call right-to-work, basically what they're there for is to is to pr- prohibit people from organizing uh, unions. Uh, but, you know, th- those pr- those states, a lot of them don't have strong, strong job training programs. Places like Mississippi, Alabama, mm-hmm. uh, you have it in pockets in those states, but you don't have it collectively across the state. So we, we I spent a lot of time. I visited 44 states uh, in my time as labor secretary. I went to red states. I went to blue states. It didn't matter to me. I mean, I was the when, when President Biden asked me to be the Secretary of Labor, I, I represented all people, Democrats, Republicans, union members, non-union members. Uh, and really, it's about creating a pathway into good jobs. I mean, we, we have to do that. You can't you can't be biased towards one group of folks. You have to try and create opportunities. And, you know, I, I had some amazing experiences. But when I say that, the amazing experiences were very sad situations. I was down in Mississippi in the Delta region, and there was black farmers down there. And they were being discriminated against by by the farm owners. Uh, and, and, you know, the Department of Labor was able to go in there and do investigations and, and get about $600,000 in back wages. So it's, it's about jobs. And it's also about p- worker protections. I mean, the mm-hmm. Department of Labor, when the president called me um, and asked me, actually, before he called me, I was vetted for the job. Um, and you go to this extensive vet. And, you know, I'm sitting home one day. I'm on the couch. And I, and I grab the iPad. And I Google Department of Labor, because I kind of, I knew the fundamental of the Department of Labor, but I didn't really know what the Department of Labor did. And, you know, there's 67 departments in the Department of Labor, anything from the Women's Bureau to International Labor Affairs to mine worker safety to everything you can imagine. Um, And, and, you know, so there's a lot there in every single one of those areas, touch a worker, whether it's creating a pathway into a good paying job or making sure a worker has safety on the job site through OSHA or making sure that workers have the ability to, 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 to mobilize and move up in the world and get better, better paying jobs. Mm-hmm. Is the American labor movement stronger with the Biden administration at the helm? And how important is that to keep that moment? If that's the case, how important is it to keep that momentum uh, moving forward? Yeah. Let, let me talk about a couple of different things. I, I think that the, the, the American labor market is stronger than it's ever been. I mean, there, there are more jobs than people. Uh, so we have to figure that out. Uh, and that really is going to be a uh, comprehensive immigration reform at some point. We need that because we have more jobs in America open than we have people available for those jobs. Even if every able person decided to go to work tomorrow, uh, 
uh, in America or could go to work. These are folks that are sick. These are folks that had to retire, that are on disability, that, that are hurt, that can't go to work. Uh, we still wouldn't have enough people. So we have to figure out how do we fill these jobs that are being created right now in the United States and that exist in the United States of America. Um, that's one aspect of it. On the labor side, on the union side, unionization side, um, th in the last 50 years, there's never been more of a positive, um, you know, polling numbers and, and interest in collective bargaining and organized labor. You're seeing companies like Google, uh, workers in Google, tech workers organizing. Uh, you're seeing companies all across America manufacturing. We have more manufacturing jobs now in the United States today than we did in the last 30 years under any president. Jobs have been created. And the Chips and Science Act that was passed to, to create the microchips, that's only going to grow our manufacturing base in the United States of America. So we're less dependent on foreign imports. Uh, we're seeing people in the labor movement that, 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 that workers are using their collective power to get earn more wages. Workers in America are being paid more today. Um, there, I think it's 4% year over year increases. In the past, it was less than that. Um, so there's, there's a lot of momentum in, in the positive way for workers in America. And, you know, there's always this natural, uh, conversation, big business versus worker. And I think that there's an opportunity for us to do both. There's an opportunity for businesses. And, I, and I've, I've said this a million times. I don't really care how much a CEO makes as long as they treat their workers fairly, as long as they pay their workers a good wage, as long as they offer their workers health care, they offer their workers some some type of pension or, or, or retirement plan, as long as they treat their workers fair. And that's not always the case in America. And that's where we have the disparities. And then in our communities of color, the, the black community, the Latino community, but particularly the black community, the unemployment rate is always higher than the white community. But we've seen that gap close a little bit. It's not closed. There's still a long way to go. But we're seeing that gap close a bit. We need more of that. We need to make sure that if you're a young black kid in, in Harlem or, or Roxbury or Dorchester or wherever you live, you have an opportunity for, for the American dream. So that that is a comprehensive plan that the president has put together. It's putting together and working towards, I should say. Well, it's refreshing to hear that you that you have a, a, a good working relationship or had a good working relationship with businesses. And to your point about the, a lot of the uh, businesses are under pressure to treat people correctly and not only the, their workers, but the environment that they're working in, the communities that they're working in. So there's a triple bottom line. You know, what's good for the community, what's good for the worker, what's good for the environment. You just said there's a lot of pressure on businesses to treat people right, which is true. <clears throat> but businesses shouldn't need pressure to treat their employees right. Mm -hmm. uh, they should naturally do it. And, and I think that if, if you treat your employees, you know, right after the pandemic, what happened was a lot of people weren't going back to work or they were they were bouncing from job to job because they had the ability to get better paying jobs. And then companies started to be, use incentives to get attract people to that company and thinking about long long term um, ways of keeping them in their businesses. I mean, companies should be doing that regardless. They shouldn't have to be forced to, to treat their employees correctly. Some, the companies that treat their workers really well during the pandemic didn't, didn't have a shortage of workers after the pandemic or, or mm -hmm. as the pandemic, as we went on to end the pandemic. So it, it really is interesting conversations that we're having here. And, um, you know, when I was the mayor of Boston, you know, I, when I first got elected, you remember this, Jimmy, I, I was regarded as an anti-business guy, labor guy, I'm going to ruin the city. And in seven years, you know, we had a triple A bond rating for seven consecutive years. We added 160,000 jobs. We did all kinds of building and, and construction. We did all kinds of growth in the city of Boston. And when I left, the business leaders were like, wait a second, we don't want you to leave. There's an opportunity <laughs> to do both. 
train and, and, and prepare workers for good paying jobs, support organized labor and grow business. We've seen it here in Boston and we've seen it in other parts of the country. And the interesting thing is when workers make more money, they spend the money. <laughs> they spend the money on the businesses in the cities and in those states. So it is a win-win situation. And uh, it's good that you have that type of relationship. And it seems that the Biden administration has that type of relationship with business. Uh, tell me, how do you think overall the Biden administration is doing? You know, I think it's unfortunate. President Biden does not get the credit for what he's done in his presidency in two and a half years. Um, the poll numbers don't reflect it, uh, but he continues to move forward every day. When you think about what he has done in two years, um, I would argue his legislative package successes in two years, in the first two years was, was greater than most presidents complete eight year term. Um, you know, he was able to get um, an infrastructure bill passed the largest in the history of the country. The president passed the bill $1.3 trillion uh, bill to update our infrastructure. We have crumbling roads, crumbling bridges. Uh, our trains are mediocre. Uh, we don't have investments there. That investment, that bill was a bipartisan bill where Republicans and Democrats supported it. Uh, we have to continue to invest in our infrastructure in America if we want to remain competitive. Um, so that bill passed. Then the president uh, passed the, Sci the Chips and Science Act, which is a bill that creates opportunities. The, the microchip that's in everything, and these computers we're talking through in our cell phones and right. our cars and our ring doorbells and, our, and all the things we have in our life. Uh, we invented the chip in the United States of America, and we were making less than 10% of those chips. Um, and you think of, they, they've been made all over the world. And, and now we want to bring that manufacturing back to the United States. Those are going to be good-paying jobs. Those are going to be jobs that be able to raise a family on, middle-class jobs, with we we don't need to have a PhD and something that's really important. So the president passed that bill. Uh, the president passed a bill uh, dealing with climate change, global warming. A lot of people kind of um, you know shake their head at that, but let's be completely honest. You look at the world today. You look at the tragedies we have, the natural disasters we've had, the fires in the west, and the and the, and the you know the, the hurricanes in the south, and, and the nor'easters that we're having, and all this. You know there is something going on in the environment. The science backs it and the president made investments in electric vehicles and electric charging stations moving forward. Um, you know, the economy, we, we had terrible inflation numbers um, a year ago, almost double digits. The num those, those numbers are coming down. Uh, so, you know, the president has, 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 his administration has worked extremely hard. Uh, it's hard to tell that story because people, you know, people read the news, but the clips that are on social media and sometimes on the nightly news isn't about the accomplishments and what, what we need to do. It's about what's the latest hot topic of the day. And it doesn't necessarily reflect the president's overall administration and what he's done. So I, I personally think he's done a great job. I think that, you know, a lot of people criticize his age. A lot of people criticize a lot of things about the president. But I've spent a good amount of time with, the, with him. He's in great shape. Um, and, and I've been in meetings where, where you know, I was in the, in the car one day in his uh, going from to an event and um, he was looking at his speech and he basically uh, dictated a, a brand new speech to the speechwriter in the car without any notes in front of him. And I mean, he gave the speech as a great speech and you know, that a guy that's not with it can't dictate a speech out of his memory to a, a speechwriter. Uh, Cause I've done it before. I've written speeches and I've given speeches, tons of them. It's really complicated. So that, that's just one little antidote that tells you that the guy's sharp and, and he's moving forward. He, he, you know, I think it's unfair. He hasn't gotten the, 
the, the, the, the positive press or treatment I think that he deserves. One of the biggest things that the Democrats seem to always need is messaging, clear messaging so that the accomplishments resonate with the general public. And a lot of that is who's in the media and who's doing the talking. It's also Washington, Jimmy. I mean, I spent some time down in D.C. and uh, it's Washington. I, I think that when you're a mayor or you're, you're a city councilor, um, you're held accountable by your constituents and they're watching what you're doing every day. Uh, yeah. and, and if you don't do something, you're being called out. In Washington, the Senate and the Congress, not everyone has that same approach. And, and, and they have arguments and, and, and debates over issues that I think the average person is kind of like scratching their head about. They're important debates. I'm not saying they're not, but but they, they, they kind of don't. You know, there's a little bit of um, a little bit of out of touch there, I think, and not with everyone, but with some people. And I think that 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 makes it more complicated. People don't view Washington as a positive place, and very important business goes on there every single day for every single American, and certainly almost every single person affected in the world. Having worked in Washington for two years as Secretary of Labor, having been the mayor of the city of Boston for seven years. When you're working on the national level, Marty, and seeing the president up close, getting to know him, seeing how he operates, seeing what he stands for, seeing what the Democrats stand for, are you optimistic about the future? I think the Democratic Party needs to needs to be a little more broader, and and we've lost a lot of people in the last 25 years, and I think we have to think about that. We can't just write people off, and a lot of it is over um, social issues uh, that people make their votes on. Uh, but at the end of the day, they should be really looking at economic issues, and uh, the Democrats in Congress really support the economic issues for the average everyday person, and I think that. You know, when you're thinking about making those decisions, and I think the party has to do a little better job of, of, of framing that and bringing people back into the fold. You know, a lot of people that I know that uh, grew up as Democrats and no longer Democrats are either independent, maybe they vote Republican more than often than not. Um, mm -hmm. We have we have some work to do there. I mean, we really do. Uh, when you think about when you think about moving forward, uh, and you know, listen, I'm I'm a, I'm a pretty progressive guy. Uh, people don't necessarily say I'm the progressive. I mean, there was a story in the paper the other day. I mean, I supported um, Johnny Fitzgerald for uh, for city council here in Boston. And, you know, they said, oh, you know, more conservative leaning. I laughed because my record, if you look at my record, I'm I'm super progressive. You know, you, yeah. you put in your intro, I supported marriage equality, support women's rights, support the environment, uh, right. you know, support all, all the issues, Corey reform, uh, working to, to give reentry program jobs and things like that. But I, I think that there's, there's too much labeling going on. And in the Democratic yeah. Party, we label too much. Yeah. Marty, the reason you're progressive, if from my take on it, is because it's authentic. You grew up in Dorchester. You saw people who were out of work. You saw black people, white people, Hispanic people. You saw you met gay people. You want the same. It seems to me that you want what's good for everybody for everybody. And so it's a very authentic uh, approach, working in labor, bringing home a paycheck. Your parents are immigrants. I mean, all that all those different uh dimensions to your personality and your background, it seems to me, has shaped your your worldview and it clearly falls in the progressive column. Uh, and the same with the with the your, your vote for equality of marriage was a big vote. At the time, it was not a, a slam dunk at all. I think it passed by 
very slim margin, if I'm not mistaken. So you've always yeah. been on the right side of those things. And when you say we have to reach out to more people, are you talking about the working class? Are you talking about the white working class in the Midwest? Well, and if so, or, but people of color, of course, but do we have to deliver for them economically? Do we have to deliver for them in terms of goods and services to, to just indicate that the government is on their side? I think we need to do, do a better story. Uh, you know, up in this region, up in, up in, up in the Northeast, we think about losing white, uh, middle class, mostly men, uh, from Democrats to Republicans. But you go down in the South, you go down to Florida, we're losing Latino, Repu we're losing Latino to the Republican party, mm -hmm. Latino community. So like, if, if we want to be truly the inclusive party, we have to think about how do we, how do we open our doors and make everyone feel comfortable in our party? And that's something that I think we have to work at even stronger. Um, you know, you go around the country, um, you know, you think these, these Southern right to work states we talked about, uh, they vote high numbers of Republicans. You go through them, there's a lot of poor people there and, and you kind of figure out how, how does this compare? How does this work? Yeah. But people are just, you know, people, I think you're right. I think part of it is telling the story of the economy, but part of it's also telling the, the, the value. What's our value statement? Who are we as a party and how do we move forward? Marty. Uh, coming into 2024, uh, I assume you're optimistic about the next election, or are you? And if so, what do you want people to do? Yeah, you know, the, the next election is, is coming around the corner pretty quickly. The Republicans are going to have their uh, their debates and, and, and their issues that they're all dealing with, and, and we'll see what happens. And President Biden is focused on doing his job as President of the United States of America. I know on the campaign side, it's begun a little bit, but they're really focusing on there's a lot of work to do. I think, you know, when you're the president, you have the strength, the ability, the strength of being the president, but you also have the weakness of being the president because you want you're campaigning for your job again. And President Biden right now has been focused on from what I'm reading and seeing and talking to folks in Washington on being the president. There's still a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of unrest in the world. Uh, you, we still have Russia, Ukraine that's going on. We have areas of, of, of you know, different economies that are on the verge of collapse around the globe. So, we, we, you know, as America, we need to make sure we stay engaged in these different countries. You know, the economy is no longer just a, a national economy. It's a, it's a worldwide economy. So the president's been focused on that. But I feel good going into 2024. The president has a good record to run on, uh, lots of accomplishments. And I think that that's where he will be able to get his opportunity to talk about uh, what he's done in his in his three at the time three and a half years as president, and, and let people take a take a moment to, to let it sink in and understand that we are in a better situation today than we were the day the president took over. The day the president took over, uh, we were not looked very favorably on a world stage. We had a pandemic that was out of control. Uh, we had vaccines that just came out. We had people that were dying still. We had twelve and a half million people out of work in America. We didn't have a path forward in a very short period of time. And since that time, uh, people are back to work. We're moving in the right direction, moving forward. Inflation's coming down. Uh, wages continue to stay, to, to rise a bit. Um, unemployment's very low still. So, you know, economy, economically, we're still in a very strong position. So if President Biden gives you a call and says, Marty, can you help me out on the campaign trail? Can you, can you go to Ohio, Pennsylvania? Can you go to Michigan? Can you go to Wisconsin? Can you say a few words in your new role? Are you able to do that or? Oh, oh, yeah, no. I'm going to do a little bit of campaigning. Obviously, you know, I represent a union and 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 I have a job now with the, with the National Hockey League Players right. Association. But certainly, everyone knows I'm very close to the president. That you know, no one has said to me you can't you can't be with the president, help the president. Uh, obviously, you know, I, I left the administration to go work for the hockey uh, NHLPA. Uh, so you know, I'm going to support President Biden. He's been my guy for a long time, and 
uh, you know, he's going to continue to be my guy until the day he says, I'm done being president, you know, whether that's <laughs> hopefully, hopefully five years from now when he retires uh, and, and enjoys his retirement. But, you know, I think that that's something that, you know, I'm a loyal person and, and that's who I am. And Marty, um, how is the new job? By the way, we didn't get to talk about it too much, but you like the new job? How is it it's, representing it, uh, players in the National Hockey League? It's great. You know, I, I, there's about 750 players, active players in the NHL. Um, what's interesting about it is a lot of people look and think about, you know, these are millionaire athletes, and, and there are millionaire athletes in the NHL, but they're not every not everyone's a millionaire athlete. So we need to make sure that we're representing all the players. Uh, you know, as a labor organization, you don't realize like what. What could possibly come up in the world of hockey that that a union needs to be involved with? And there's a lot. There's yeah. a lot. We have we have uh, players in Arizona playing in a college rink. We have issues with the ice. We have issues sometimes with different teams and, and different situations that come up. Uh, hockey players are, are the average citizen. They have dealings with mental illness. They have dealings with alcoholism. Their families, their struggles, their health care, their pension. So all the things that that a, a labor organization represents is the same thing here with the NHLPA. You represent the same challenges, same issues that, play, that players have, that people have. So it's been fun. It's been interesting. I've had a chance to go around now and meet a lot of the players. Uh, this is my busy season coming up. Uh, in you know, when the season starts, going around and getting to know. Uh, all the players and, and, and getting to visit them and, and talk about what the future of the, 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 the their union is going to look like. Well, Marty, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to spend Labor Day weekend, Friday morning. We're recording this September 1st. It'll air today. It'll be on, uh, it'll be on my website at jimmytingle.com. And so Marty, Great to see you again. Congratulations on all your success and congratulations especially on the on the work that you're doing on behalf of other people. It really means a lot to everybody here in Boston and everybody that works in this country is being affected by the efforts that you guys are making in the Department of Labor. Safe travels and thank you again. Thanks, Jimmy. Happy Labor Day. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. You've been listening to The Jimmy Tingle Show, and you can hear all of our episodes wherever you get your podcast.